Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, last week we began a, a new series uh, that we're calling Dinner with Jesus. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about some of the stories, and this is what we're going to be working through, some of the stories that contain uh, meal times that Jesus had with people. Jesus was invited to a lot of different meals. He was invited to, to, to again, get together with people. He, he got together with people around food. Sometimes uh, he invited uh, others to join him for a meal, and then other times he was invited uh, to a meal. Last week, we, we talked all about the importance of meals and food and, and how that worked in terms of the mission uh, of Jesus and the importance in that context of meals, but particularly in the book of Luke, we looked at the fact that that food and dinners were something that was important to Jesus' ministry. Luke points out that Jesus was either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Uh, additionally, we asked this question uh, last week that was kind of kind of sparked some interest. The Bible says the Son of Man, using that title from Jesus from Daniel, the Son of Man came, and we said, "What does Scripture say? The Son of Man came. How did he come? The Son of Man came. How would you finish that sentence?" And we pointed out that there are three areas in Scripture where it it uses the Son of Man came and follows it up. So Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man came to serve and give his life. And then in Luke 19.10, another meal that Jesus had with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus following that, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then we highlighted a third one that is kind of out of the box. But Luke 7.34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friends of tax collectors and sinners. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And we highlighted that the first two statements, the first two verses of the Son of Man came, highlight uh, why he came. What's the purpose? They're statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and to seek and to save the lost. The third statement is more of a how, a method. How did Jesus do this? What was a part of his mission? What was a part of it? We know that preaching and teaching were a part of it. We know that he did miracles and that that was a part of it. But but we also can see that there was a way in which Jesus was carrying out the purpose and the mission that he came to do. And that was the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus had dinner with people. Jesus had meals with people. They were part of the, his strategy of being able to connect with people. And as we're going to see here, oftentimes around the t- times where he was interacting and having a meal with people, it would lead to a conversation about kingdom things. Conversation. How many of you find that sometimes uh, meals are what opens up conversation? 
If you, if you decide that you're going to meet someone for coffee or you're going to invite somebody over for dinner, usually around that time, there is an opportunity that opens up for conversation. They are relational and they're opportunities that lead to an opening in conversation. I know that for our family, as we were raising our kids and, and even now, the dinner table is something that's always been very, very important to our family. It's kind of the way that Jamie and I were both raised the same way, that as a family, we eat dinner together. As a family, we have a meal together. And sometimes that means we adjust our time due to practice schedules or different things that activities that the kids had or meetings that I've had or, or different things that we've had. We've had to adjust those times and move things around. Sometimes uh, eating with some of you folks at 4 a.m. or 4 a.m., 4 p.m. for dinner, sometimes you're like, oh, that's really early. And sometimes pushing it back and eating later because we found that with our, our kids, one of the things that was really helpful that opened up conversations conversations with them about their lives and even would lead into opportunities to have biblical and spiritual conversations happened at the dinner table. So in our house, it wasn't, we're going to have a meal and everybody's going to come and, and, and get it at different times and go off into their rooms or sit in front of a screen while they're eating. For us, it was sitting around the table and opening up conversation. The dinner part was a, a way in which Jesus would oftentimes engage with people that would lead to a spiritual conversation and oftentimes lead to either a transformation or a challenge in somebody's life. So today we're going to look at another story in the book of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. And so again, I had the PowerPoint this week. Last week I didn't. The PowerPoint this week in the app notes. But I would still encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word and read along with us. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And again, before we begin, have you ever been invited to a dinner? Anybody ever been invited to a dinner? I think sometimes we've been invited to dinner, friends or family, we've been invited over, but how many have ever been invited to a wedding? Yeah, the wedding, the reception, right? Usually around food, a celebration and a, a time around food or, or maybe a bridal shower or a baby shower or, or something like that or invited to a party. They were, they were common, dinner parties were common. In our store today, Jesus receives an invitation to dinner. Luke chapter seven and verse 36 says this, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So what we see is Jesus receives an invitation from a Pharisee to, to, to come to dinner. And Jesus accepts the invitation to dinner. Now you may be asking, what's so significant about this? Well, I just want to point out that Jesus oftentimes accepted invitations to dinner from people of all walks of life. Last week, our story included where Jesus had invited a tax collector by the name of Levi, also known as Matthew, to be one of his disciples to follow him. And that resulted in an invitation, a dinner invitation by Levi to all of his tax collector and Luke says other friends, but we pointed out that, that the religious leaders said the sinner friends, and they went back to Matthew's house, Levi's house, and there was Jesus invited to be a part of this dinner and he's eating and drinking with these people that are considered unclean and, and, and what that meant in terms of befriending them. But today what we see is Jesus now accepts a dinner invitation 
from the other side of the religious social spectrum, and that is a Pharisee. A Pharisee. In fact, no less than four times in the first three verses of this passage that we're looking at today, you will see the title of the person who invited him as a Pharisee. So Luke really wants us to understand, when you're reading God's Word and you see something that many times, Luke wants us to understand that this was the invitation of, of a Pharisee. Now, who were the Pharisees? They were religious leaders. And they prided themselves on following the law of Moses right down to the very letter of the law. They, they believed that part of the reason that Israel was still under Roman occupation was because they were not following the law of Moses. They'd sinned against the law of Moses. And because of that, just like when the exile had come and the Babylonians had come in and God allowed their enemies to come in and take them captive, they believed they were under Roman occupation because somehow, as a nation, they were not following God's law. So God was punishing them by allowing them to be under Roman occupation. So for them... This was an idea of we've got to stay separated from all of this other stuff. We've got to stay separated. We've got to stay pure. We cannot be unclean. Now, that's going to be important in our, in our story today. That's going to be really important today. You see, Moses, Moses talked about this idea in the, in the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus. When you really get into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they kind of spell out some of these clean and unclean laws and staying pure and those kinds of things. And they were passionate about obeying God's commands and staying away from people who didn't. Their passion was purity and separation. In this story, it gets interesting because this dinner party at the Pharisee's house that Jesus was invited to suddenly got interrupted by an uninvited guest. And so I titled this message, The Party Crasher. The Party Crasher. So let's continue to follow the story in verse 37, Luke 7, 37. We'll read 37 and 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. All right, so we have a description given. A sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, you might say, what is going on here? To, to, to really fully grasp this passage, we have to have a little bit of historical context, <coughs> excuse me, of what's happening here. Now, homes today were very different than the ones that we live in. Today, our homes, uh, you know, you, you might have your home, it's back off of the street. And, uh, and in some cases, uh, there's, a, there's a curb and you have your driveway, but, but for where your front door is, you have in front of your front door, you have the lawn. And then sometimes, depending on the neighborhood you live in, you might have a sidewalk and then a little bit more lawn and then the street. And that's kind of how our homes are set up. You might even have a front porch before you get to your front door that then opens up into the rest of your home, whether an entryway or a living room or a dining room or dining area or kitchen or something like that. But in Jesus' day, homes were, were particularly large, particularly large homes were more like this. And we have a picture that we'll put up on the screen. And the order of this was the door, and the door was right on the street. Now, if you've ever traveled to, to another country or something like that, I know when we went to, to Honduras and places like this, oftentimes we would see setups where 
it would be similar that there would be this wall and there would be this door literally right off of the street. And then as you go through the door, you're into what is a courtyard area. And that, that courtyard area is extremely important because off of that are various rooms and areas that then uh, lead back into the house or lead into the courtyard area. So you can see you come right in that door, you go right into this more general courtyard area, then in the back you can see a place where there is a table, uh, oftentimes there, when, when they would have meals, a dining area that would be right off of this courtyard area. And that's important because in this culture of the day, oftentimes during the daytime, these doors would be left open and the public would be able to come and go. Oftentimes in that courtyard area, right off the street, if there's a, an owner that is in there, people might stop in hospitably to pay respects to the owner, to greet him in some way. Sometimes there was business that would have to be done in this area. There would be transactions or business that might take place in this area. If the, if the homeowner had various servants or different people, sometimes there would be things that would be happening where they would be serving and, and there would be all kinds of activity to transact business right in this. In fact, sometimes the poor in the area would come into the homes that were, that were of people who were a little more established economically like this and would have homes like this. The poor would sometimes come in and this was a common area where many times they were allowed to be and they would hang out in case there were particular scraps that might be left. Maybe there was a meal, there were some things left over in hopes that they would be given those, those extra scraps. And you can see in other parables, like the rich man and Lazarus, a similar type of a situation where the Lazarus was hoping to get the scraps that from, from the rich man's table. This is part of the culture and understanding the culture of that time is that oftentimes in this area, you would have a lot of different activity and crowds would gather. Now, if you invited somebody into your home for a meal and that somebody had a particular good reputation, maybe somebody that was well-known and you were having dinner with them, Although they would, they would not be a part of the, people would not be a part of the dinner in this area, oftentimes people within the surrounding area, if they heard you invited somebody for dinner, they wanted to hear the conversation that was happening around the table. They would hang out and they would gather as a group in this courtyard area. Can you see how this story begins to make a little bit more sense when you understand some of the, some of the cultural aspects of it? They would hang out in this particular area because they'd want to hear the conversation. And sometimes, sometimes they'd even participate in the conversation and they would just interject. They would just interject. Have you ever been at, at, at maybe a restaurant or something and you're having a conversation and somebody behind you is at another table or next to you and they hear your conversation and they interject? Anybody ever had that before? Maybe not. Maybe not you. I've had those things before. Sometimes you're like, oh, that's kind of odd. That, that person's a little different. Why are they listening to my conversation? But this was normal. This was a part of how they interacted. This was a part of the way that they, they lived and what they, and what they did. And so uh, then when it came to the table, so we'll zoom in on the table and let me give you another picture of the table area. Tables were oftentimes where there were couches. Now we sit with our feet underneath the table when we eat, but when you see that Jesus reclined at the table, the indication it was probably something very similar to this because this was part of the culture of that day, even Roman culture of that day, that they were would have these kind of couch areas 
that would be around the table, you would kind of recline. Sometimes you might lean on your side and your feet would be behind you and you'd have your, your hand available to drink as you talked and you would, you would eat at the table and it was U-shaped with the food and table all around so that if there were those who were serving the food, they could get in there, serve the food and not, not disturb anything. And so this kind of gives us another picture of when you say that this woman came in and she came behind Jesus and she began to, to, to wash his, his feet with her tears and, and, and dry them off with her hair. You're thinking, did she, did she crawl under the table? Well, if you're thinking about the way that our culture does dinner, you're thinking, how did this lady get under the table and nobody noticed her? How did she even get into the house? Well, to, to really understand the story, you've got to understand how, how meals were done and how the courtyard and the house and all those things were set up. And so you have this, this, this lady who is described as a woman of the city, and there, there's some language involved in that, and a sinner, and, and, and she's hanging out in this courtyard, and she wasn't kicked out for whatever reason, and, and, and she makes her way closer to the table, and she makes her way to behind Jesus, and all of a sudden, she just, in uncontrollable sobs, begins to just, just weep, interrupting this dinner party, and allowing her tears to be on Jesus' feet. Now, see, this, this, this gets interesting, doesn't it? And as we walk through this story, what we see is, is that Jesus begins to contrast two people that, to be honest with you, are seeking him. Two people that are interested in seeking Jesus, they come from two different walks of life. One who is a Pharisee, who is of the, the upper echelon of the religious party of that day, somebody who, who, who prided themselves on, on purity and obeying the commands and the law of Moses. And, 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 and yet at the same time, I, I want to highlight that, that I believe that the Pharisee in this situation, in this story, is just as interested in hearing what Jesus has to say and who Jesus is as the woman is. Now, let me point that out. Let me, let me help you understand that. Why do I share that? Because as a Pharisee, you're part of the ruling class of the day. And the ruling class of the day, particularly the Pharisees, did not like Jesus very much. The context leading up to Luke chapter 7 is really important for us when we take a look at Luke 7 and we look at the broader context of what is happening before this story takes place. It's really about some messengers that come from John the Baptist who's been in prison and he's, they're asking, Jesus, are you the one? We thought you were the one. John the Baptist thought you were the one. Are you the one or is there another that we should be looking for? So they're, they're questioning Jesus' Messiah in this leading up to this and, and and so they're saying Jesus are you the one that we prepared the way for and, and and then as a part of the response to them this is what we we read in Luke chapter 7 29 and 30 this is leading up to this passage it says when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. This is John the Baptist. So what you see is there is a resistance. The, those who have been the tax collectors and the other social, they, were, they came repentant. They listened to John's message. They were baptized by him. But it talks about the Pharisees and the law. They rejected that. They said, no, this... This, we reject that. That's not what it is. We, we have been keeping the law. We have nothing to repent from. 
We have been keeping the law of Moses. And the Pharisees rejected John's call to repentance while others, including the tax collectors, responded. Furthermore, Jesus goes out to point that not only are they not accepting of John's message, but they're not, they're not been accepting of Jesus' message. Look at verse 33, Luke 7, 33. You can see it in your Bible too. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And the son of man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is no win. You didn't agree with John, and you don't like me. And we're like doing two different, we have two different ways in which we're approaching this, and none of them are good enough for you. It doesn't matter. You're just rejecting it all. So you have to understand that again, now we come in the next verse, verse 34, then we get to the next verse, verse 35, and, 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 and we're all of a sudden, we're, we're thrust, verse 36, we're thrust into this story of Jesus being invited by a Pharisee, and we know that his name is Simon in the verses that follow, to a meal at Jesus' home. And this is serious boldness, because you remember that in that culture, an invitation was a, a meal, that we said last week, an invitation to a meal was an expression and an invitation to possible friendship and openness to reconciliation and friendship. And remember, the Pharisees, they were, didn't want to be around anybody they considered to be unclean. They were separatists. They were separating themselves from, from other people who they believed were unclean. They did not want to contaminate themselves with the sinner culture around them. And so they, they had this kind of an idea. And no other Pharisee that we look at during that time had, 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 had publicly come and, and really began to, to interact with Jesus on this level. The closest we get is in John chapter 3 with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And does anybody remember? what time of day Nicodemus came to have a conversation with Jesus? At night. At night. In other words, publicly, around his other Pharisee friends, Nicodemus being kind of open and being a seeker and wanting to know what was all about with, with, with Jesus comes at night. But now, this, this story you have a Pharisee who we find out his name is Simon that is so bold in his wanting to know who Jesus is that during the day he opens up his home and he has a meal with Jesus and, it's, and, and you got people in the courtyard including this woman who is described as a woman of the city and a sinner who's in that courtyard who hasn't been booted out and you have this very public open setting where a Pharisee actually invites Jesus to a meal and is having dinner with him publicly. That's why I believe that Simon, Simon is also seeking to know whether Jesus truly is the Messiah or not. Could he be the one that we've been waiting for? The problem is not the seeking. The problem as we're going to see in this story is the approach is the approach. And I, I want to I highlight this because both the woman and Simon were seeking, but they responded to Jesus in two very different ways. Let's look at the different responses. Let's contrast them because that's what this story does. It contrasts them. So the woman, who is this woman? Well, we don't know a name. There's no name given to her, but there is a description. She is a woman of the city and she is a sinner. Now, if you take a look at the, the actual Greek words and you take a look at the context, a woman of the city and a sinner, you probably know what she was. 
streetwalker, prostitute. She, she, she was an adulteress. She, she had a reputation. She had a reputation. In, in those times, in those, those villages, in those areas, let me tell you something. They're, they're, you, you knew who people were. She was known. She had a reputation. This is, and, 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 but watch how she approaches Jesus. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table, or at, at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her, the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet, and she anointed them with ointment. A very descriptive way in which she approached Jesus. A very descriptive way in which she was coming and how she was seeking and how she, how she did this. Now let's see how this progressed. I think at this point, maybe something happened. There might have been some kind of an encounter. Maybe Jesus was teaching somewhere and she was hanging out on the outskirts and she heard him teach. Or, or perhaps maybe she had seen that, that Jesus had healed someone. Or maybe she was hanging around and she heard Jesus say to someone, as he often does, your sins are forgiven you. I, I don't know what the context. We're not given the backstory of this woman. What we are given is the fact that she heard that he was at this Pharisee, Simon's house, that he was having dinner and he was reclining at the table and there was something inside of her that had been so touched by Jesus that she couldn't help herself but to come in and put herself in a position in a Pharisee's home where she knew there would be high judgment in front of everybody who knew her reputation, but putting it all on the line, she, she progresses in, she gets into that area that we talked about, that courtyard area that we talked about. She's, she's in that area and, and she's, he's reclining at the table and she makes her way through whatever might've been in that courtyard area and she comes behind him and scripture tells us that she has an alabaster jar of perfume, a very expensive, a very expensive perfume in a, in a little flask. Oftentimes, if you, if you had one of these, you would carry it. You'd wear it around your neck like on a necklace. And it had a very thin neck on it. And, 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 and so to get it out, you, you didn't want to, it was very expensive, so you only wanted to get a little bit out. So it was created in such a way that because of the neck that was on it, it would only come out drop by drop, kind of like a dropper. If you ever had eye drops, you know, you tip it over, you know, the whole thing doesn't come out. It's designed in such a way that you got to do it just right. And each time you get just one little drop that comes out. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That's the way the flask, they were, they were created in such a way that, that they would have a thin neck that would just be drops and drops. She wanted to anoint his feet, but somehow as she, as she gets up behind, as she pushes through these, these boundaries to, to anoint him with this perfume, as he's reclining at the table, she's standing there behind him. And, and what she planned to do is anoint his feet with oil, but she is so overcome with emotion that she begins to weep and she begins to cry. And we're not talking about uh, uh, you know, she, we're not talking about a pretty cry. You know, we're talking an ugly cry. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you watch movies, an ugly cry. This is ugly cry. This is, this is uncontrollable sobbing cry. This is interrupt the dinner party cry. This is sobbing so much that the amount of tears that she is crying is enough that, that, that are literally there to wet Jesus' feet that she, she feels like she's got to dry them off, but she doesn't have a towel. And so she does something, she does something even more, even more in that culture that you didn't do. She lets down her hair in public. 
in that culture, women had hair, they, their heads were covered. They were covered. You had covered hair. You didn't let down your hair. When you let down your hair, you did that in private when you got home at night and you were in the privacy of your family. You did that when you were in the privacy of your bedroom with your husband. In that culture, that's the only time. In fact, there were many men who got married in that culture that never saw their fiance's hair until it was the night of their wedding on that wedding night when she would let down her hair. Understand what I'm talking about here, folks. This was a covered culture. So for her in a public place, not only to press back and not only to interrupt this party behind Jesus, sobbing and weeping, she lets down her hair. She, she, goes, she goes full no shame. I, she's, she's just all in. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what people think. There has been something about this man that has so touched me that I, I came here and I wanted to express my appreciation to him in the only way that I knew how, which was to anoint his feet with oil. That's the, but I'm so overcome with emotion that you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore because I've been, I've been changed. I've been transformed. There's something about this guy, Jesus, and I'm so overcome. I can't help myself but to do the only thing that I know how to do. And I begin to weep and I let down my hair and I begin to wash his feet with my hair and then I'm anointing with this with this alabaster jar of perfume and, and the aroma is filling the air come on somebody come on that's what's happening here what what does Luke want us to see that that the approach that this woman takes is deeply personal this is a whole life approach this is, a, this is not just a head, this is a heart. This is, an, this is, this is my emotions. This is, this is everything, everything. I'm, I'm approaching Jesus and, and I'm approaching him with everything. This is deeply, deeply personal. This is personal. Not only is it personal, it's costly. The alabaster jar of perfume, again, was costly. It was expensive, and as I said, worn around the neck, and, and oftentimes if you're, it, it, she's a woman of the city, okay, she's a sinner, when she's wearing it around, she doesn't have the lid on it because it's, it's emanating that fragrance that says to men, I'm, I'm, I'm attractive, I'm available. You see what I'm saying? And this is her livelihood. This is, this is where she's held on to her power, her ability to influence, control her, the way in which she's been economically taken care of by herself in this way. And for a prostitute, this was costly. It was expensive perfume. It was her secret power. And to, to pour it on the feet of Jesus made that meant that to really pour it out, she had to break off the top of it. And if you break off the top of it and you pour it out, guess what? It is no longer useful to you. You have emptied everything. You have given everything. You have poured it out. That's her response. Her response to Jesus is deeply personal. And it involves her whole self. And she is all in surrender. All out surrender to Jesus. Now what was Simon's response? <clears throat> what was his approach? He had invited Jesus to this very public dinner. He'd already shown that kind of courage and bravery that we don't see in anyone else during the day by a Pharisee of that class to invite Jesus to a very public dinner. But what was his response to Jesus? Well, look at verse 39. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So what we have here is when this woman comes in and she begins to weep and and she begins to, to do this, Simon is reasoning within himself. He's not talking outwardly to Jesus. He's reasoning within himself, okay. All right, intellectually here, I I know what's happening here. I I got it now. I invited Jesus because I was curious. Is this guy a prophet? Is this guy the Messiah? Is this guy who he says he is? And I've got my answer now because if he knew, if he knew what kind of woman, what sort of woman, she's unclean. If he knew that this unclean woman was touching him, he would never, if he was a true prophet, he'd never, A, he'd never let him, let, let her touch him because that would just be, you don't, you don't, you don't do that. She's going to transfer her uncleanness onto you. And if you're unclean, you can't be a true prophet if you're unclean. No way. He would know. And, and if he was truly a prophet, he would have that kind of discernment. And he doesn't seem to have that kind of discernment to know what's going on here. So either he's not a prophet or a true prophet because he hasn't, doesn't have the kind of discernment you need to be a prophet. Or two, even if he has a discernment, by letting her touch him, he's unclean. And so there is no way reason-wise this guy can be a true prophet. He's disqualified. How's Simon seeking Jesus? He's seeking Jesus intellectually. He, he, he wants a discussion. And while we need to approach Jesus with our mind, so don't hear what I'm not saying. Why we need to approach Jesus with our mind, we cannot let that be where our seeking ends. Because Scripture says, your ways are higher than my ways. Right? There are things I don't understand. How many of you who've known Jesus a long time can can honestly say there are times when when there are things you just don't understand about Jesus? Right? Right? There are things we don't understand because there's an element that is called faith that goes beyond intellect, that can't be reasoned, that we we can't figure it out, that doesn't oftentimes fit the box that we try to create, that we try to put Jesus into. And, and I think that sometimes we have those things. And, and I think that, that one of the big differences that we see between how the woman approaches Jesus and how Simon approaches Jesus is this. How, how the woman approaches Jesus is very personal. She's touching him. She's weeping. She's opening herself up to him. She's, she's, allowing the, 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 she's allowing the presence of Jesus to touch her in a way in which she opens up and, and becomes deeply personal in, in, in her response to him. While Simon, his response is very impersonal. It's very intellectual. He, he, wants to, he wants to reason it all out. And can I point out that sometimes religion, religion can be impersonal. Sometimes our approach to Jesus can be impersonal. We can, we can reason it out. Well, I've got to go to church and I've got to read my Bible and I've, and I, and I'm, and I've got to do, and I've got to do this. And we can get into so much of the things that we have to do that we never push past that. We do the religious things, but we never allow ourselves to move past the things that we do into the very personal relationship side of faith that Jesus invites us into. 
where we begin to move past mere intellect and we allow ourselves to move in very personal in this personal way that is truly where a lot of the transformation in our lives and in our hearts, where the healing that we need, where the things that we truly need, where we really need Jesus to meet us happens not in the impersonal, simply the intellect and the reason part or the religion part, but it's the relationship part where we truly open up and we, we, we allow ourselves to engage with Jesus personally. There's some good stuff here, folks. Thought, Simon thought he was reasoning correctly, right? He thought he knew what Jesus was perceiving about the situation. However, Jesus flips the script on him and says, oh, I... I have perception. I'm a true prophet. I have perception. Let me, let me tell you my perception. Let me tell you my perception. Here's two, under, two, two different understandings of Jesus. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A, a certain money lender had two debtors. He's telling a little parable. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And, and when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. But which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, I love that, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. It's like, I have to give an answer. I really don't want to give the answer that I know you're looking for. You've kind of led me into this and I have to give it, but I really don't want to give it. Have you ever been there before where you didn't really want to give the answer, but you knew that you had to, you knew it was, they led you right there and you fell right into the pit, right? I suppose for whom canceled the larger debt. And he said to them, he said to him, you have judged rightly. You see, what, what Jesus is perceiving is that in Simon's heart and mind, he, he is misunderstanding this idea of debt. This idea of debt. There's a couple of key points here. There's two people in this, this particular parable who have gone and borrowed from the same money lender. Okay? So, so in that culture, if you couldn't pay your bills, there wasn't a credit card that you would swipe or a bank that you would get a loan from. You would go to, to people who had money and you would ask to borrow from them. And if you couldn't pay that money back, then you became their servant or your children became their servant or you were put in prison until you could pay it back. That was the way that it worked. There was no, I'm, I'm just going to file chapter, you know, chapter seven bankruptcy or whatever it is. I don't know if I got the number right. The chapter, I, you know, I, there's no filing bankruptcy. And so Jesus is using a parable and he's saying, listen, you both, you, there are two people. They went to the same money lender and they, and they both borrowed. And that money lender, man, he must not have had, you know, very good um, perception because both of them were unable to pay him back. I mean, that's just not good business there. And, 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 and you have to understand that a denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage for, for an average just migrant worker, blue-collar blue worker of that time. Somebody who'd go out and work in the fields or help, you know, shovel the dung out of the pen or whatever it was in, in that way. You're not talking about somebody with an upper-level job. A denarii was a, a day's pay for somebody that would just do average kind of daily migrant worker, not a lawyer or a politician or something, somebody that would just average daily wage. And in those days, if you, if you borrowed, again, and couldn't pay it back, uh, you, you, would, you would have... Sorry, <coughs> so they both owed a debt. And, and, and what, while the amount matters, really the reality is, is that the debt that they had couldn't be paid. That's what's critical in this parable to understand. And the, the point that Jesus is trying to make is that, that both Simon and the woman had debt that they couldn't pay. 
They both had a debt that they couldn't pay. Yes, she was a woman of the city. Yes, she was a sinner and a prostitute. Yes, she, she probably was the one equal to the larger amount, the 500 denarii. She was, she was the one that he's talking about. Nevertheless, Simon is not without debt. Simon is not without a debt. He, he, had, he has a debt. And God is the gracious lender. He's the, he is the gracious money lender in the story. But, but in order for, and this is, this is the key, in order for the money lender to forgive the debt, it wasn't that the debt was just, that was it. The money lender is the one who absorbed the cost associated with the debt. He absorbed the cost. And God is the one who absorbs the cost. The essence of forgiveness is about absorbing loss. There's still a cost, but rather than the one who owes the debt, making, making that person pay, I'll make them pay. Okay, yeah, we'll just leave that there. Rather than, rather than that, rather than making them absorb the cost, them pay, that's what, that's what the money letter could have done. You've got to pay it back. You've got to work for me. You've got to absorb the cost. Instead, the money lender absorbed the cost. That's what God does for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. He, he absorbs the cost of our debt. And obviously in the story, both have debt. Simon has 50. The woman has 500. The difference is, is that the woman understood that she needed a savior. She understood that she had a debt that she could not pay. She understood that there was a gracious savior by the name of Jesus who would go around and say to people, your sins are forgiven you. And there was something that so touched her heart that she began to very personally interact with Jesus based on that understanding that she had a debt that she could not pay and that he was someone who would pay that debt and absorb the cost for her and she was overcome with that emotion while Simon wasn't so convinced he approached God's law I've done my best I'm a good person compared to that woman I'm a very good person I stayed away. I've, I've, been, I've been diligent to obey the laws and the commands of Moses. I'm a religious person. I, 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 I'm okay. I, I don't have that much debt. And his very impersonal response to Jesus in this story, Jesus is pointing out, is indicative of what was in his heart. I'm, I, I, I am intellectually and impersonally, I, I feel like I am being moral, and that's okay. That's good enough. But the problem with impersonal religion or an impersonal approach to Jesus is that unless we realize that we are in debt and in need of a Savior, we will tr never truly experience the peace and the forgiveness that we need. Obviously, there was something inside of him that was still unsettled for him to go through the, the, all of whatever it was to invite Jesus to his house for dinner in the middle of the day. And Jesus uses this parable to make a point that when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon says, the one, I suppose, who's canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. So what do we learn from this? Little forgiveness, little love. Big forgiveness, big love. Simon reluctantly answers correctly by equating the understanding of big or little debt to the response 
of love. However, from here, Jesus does a direct contrast of Simon and the woman. And this is verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's not, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins... So he's equating it back to the parable, which are many are forgiven for she loved much for he who is forgiven little loves little and he and, and, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Simon's approach to Jesus was very intellectual, so intellectual that when Jesus came into his house, he didn't even offer him the customary hospitality of the day. He didn't provide him any water for his dusty feet. He didn't provide him with the customary kiss, which would have been equivalent to a handshake when somebody walks into your house and you invite them in and you give them a handshake or you give them a hug. He, he didn't even do any of that. He didn't even offer him a little bit of inexpensive oil on his head from the hot sun to be able to provide a little bit of relief which was a customary hospitality thing to do when he received Jesus into his home he showed no hospitality he didn't open it up it was simply an opportunity to have a conversation a very intellectual conversation where he could reason and decide for himself based on that conversation is is Jesus really who he says he is and didn't offer him anything yet 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 the woman her response is deeply personal, not impersonal, but deeply personal. And, and her response is extravagant love. And she opened up her heart somewhere along the line. She, she, she opens herself up to the love and the grace of Jesus. And she walks away from him forgiven. What did Simon receive? Because Simon's approach to Jesus was intellectual and impersonal and religious, he received a seminar. He got a case study in forgiveness and love and a little bit of rebuke during an academic experience. You approach Jesus intellectual, you'll get a seminary. You'll get a seminary. Oh, that's what we went to. That's a cemetery. No, not a cemetery. Seminary. No, you'll get a seminar. You can get a teaching. You can get a little rebuke. You can get, you get an opportunity to have a little something you want to chew on in your head for a while and go, that was pretty good, and kind of chew on it. But it doesn't necessarily bring any kind of transformation. It doesn't lead to peace. It, 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 it doesn't lead to forgiveness. It leads to, a, in your head, a reasoning whether you line up or not. Whether you have debt or not. Whether this is real or not. Whether this is right or not. But the woman received forgiveness and grace. And she received the ability. This is really, really good. The ability to love again. Those who are forgiven much, love much. The transformation is, is while she didn't know how to give and receive love in the proper way, after meeting with Jesus and being forgiven, all of a sudden, the hurt that had been built up in her heart for years of abuse and years of adultery and years of rebellion, all of a sudden, Jesus says to her through this parable, you can love again. You can love again. And in verse 50, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Worship team, will you come? Friends, do you need peace? Do you need peace? Do you need peace in your heart? Do you, do you need forgiveness? 
You see, Jesus is inviting us to the table. And, and what may begin with a conversation, and, and, and I don't want you to unplug intellectually, but I, but I want you to know that, that simply trying to reason intellectually whether this is, this is a, the faith or the doctrine or this is something that I should I believe or shouldn't I believe, at some point in time, we've got to move past the impersonal and we've got to begin to move personally into this extravagant, very personal relationship with Jesus because it's in the personal when he truly comes in and brings the transformation and the peace and the forgiveness in our hearts and in our lives. Maybe today, like the woman, you need to open up and surrender. You need to let go of what you have been holding on to for your security. That was the alabaster jar. The power that she held over men and, 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 and the ability to be able to, to draw them in. That was her secret power. But she was willing to break that open and and surrender that and pour that out and say, Jesus, you're more. Jesus, you're more. Jesus, you can meet my need more. She was willing to, to let her hair down and say, I don't, I don't, I don't care about the ridicule. I don't, I, 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 I have been touched and I need to move into this very personal relationship with Jesus, I lay it at your feet. I bring it to your feet. And I, I acknowledge I have a debt of sin I cannot pay. I cannot pay. I cannot possibly absorb this debt of sin. Oh, but I come to you, Jesus, and I, I lay it at your feet. And I surrender to you. Come and change my heart. Come and heal my wounded soul. Come and, 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 and bring peace to my heart. Maybe today, that's what you need. You need to acknowledge your debt of sin. You need to truly let go and begin to engage with Jesus. Engage with Jesus. Move past simply trying to figure out and, and reason and move into something very personal. And that begins when we're willing to surrender. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I, I just want to just ask this question and invite you. Maybe today. Maybe today you just say, I, I've got a debt of sin that I need forgiveness for. I, I, I've got a big debt of sin and I, I don't, I, I'm just at my, I'm at a loss. I just, I, I need a personal savior today. I need, I need forgiveness and grace. I need, a, I need to move personally into this relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I just want to invite you to slip up your hand today. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone at all? I just... I need, I have a sin debt that needs forgiven. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, if you're watching online, will you just let us know? That's me, I need this. You can email info at painsvilleag.com. Come on, I just want to pray with you today. Come on, can we just open up our hearts today? And let's just pray and just ask Jesus, invite Jesus in. Dear Jesus, we thank you today for your extravagant love for us that while we were yet sinners you gave your life and so we, we, we believe in faith and we confess with our, with our mouth that you are Lord we believe in our heart that you raised Christ from the dead that, that you've offered us grace and forgiveness and, and today we just put our hope and our faith in you we ask you 
for your forgiveness and your grace. We extravagantly come and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Come into my life and and transform me. We invite you in and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.